Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, guys. Are you planning your next litter of puppies now that you've finished your owner-breeder handle, bitch? If so, the Embark for Breeders DNA Kit can give you the genetic health test results you need to make the right decisions for your breeding program. As the highest rated and most accurate dog DNA kit on the market, thousands of breeders have trusted Embark, including me, to enhance their breeding program through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. Breeder tools include an easy-to-share OFA submission report, as well as understanding the potential coefficient of inbreeding in your projected litter. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK. Their world-class scientists and veterinary geneticists are standing by. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am back with my very dear friend, Dr. Marty Greer. And we have some really, I think, critical information for you guys. We all know right now is tough. Nobody can get into a vet clinic. It's hard. Like we're all just kind of figuring it out. And so Marty and I thought we could talk about some of the things that you can do to take care of your dog using everyday products, what you can use and what you absolutely cannot use. Absolutely. And yeah, it's tough. I mean, people are waiting months to get in to see a specialist, eight hours to see an emergency veterinarian. So things have gotten really difficult. And it's not that the veterinarians are doing this on purpose. And I want to be really clear about that is our staff is uber stressed by the fact that we are limited in what we can offer for services. So first of all, be super nice to your veterinary clinic. Bring them donuts, bring them coffee, bring them pizza. (laughs) Yeah, food gets you a long way. Food will get you in. Maybe not at that visit, but they will remember who brought good food. Homemade cookies, you name it. It doesn't have to be expensive. And you don't have to do it the day you're going in, right? Just randomly drop by the clinic and say, hey, I know you guys are having it rough. Have a plate of cookies. I mean, really. Because often our staff isn't getting lunch. They may not be leaving on time for dinner. So they are stressed. They're overworked. They're tired. And it may be as much emotional as it is physical stress and exhaustion. So be super nice to them because they are wearing themselves out trying to make sure that no dog gets left behind. I know that's a t-shirt right now, no dog left behind, but it's really true is we don't want to leave your pets without care, but there is absolutely a limit to what we can provide for care, for time, for services, what you can get for availability. I can't call a specialist and get you in any faster than you can. So please don't add any extra burden to the reception staff, the team that does your pet's care in the back, the treatment area. Just be really very cognizant, very self-aware of what our limitations are. And so with that beautiful segue, then, okay, so what can I do at home? How can I take care of my pet? And what can I use? What can I not use? 
And I think anything that we can talk to folks about that says, do not try this at home, right? (laughs) That kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So I want to start with the things you should not use at home, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions. And people look online and they read things. And of course, Dr. Google, Google and all the other places. And sometimes those aren't really reliable sources. So I want to start off with some things that we know are hot button issues. And the first thing is any kind of product that contains a xylitol as a sweetener. You may be surprised that even things like melatonin and children's cough syrup, things along those lines might contain xylitol. So check those small print on the back of the label. I have yet to find a jar of peanut butter with xylitol in it. I must not shop at high enough end stores to find that. But apparently it's out there. But anything with xylitol is a risk. So sugarless gum and candy, of course, we know about. But xylitol sneaks its way into a lot of things as a sweetener. And the concern is that it causes dogs' blood sugar to drop. And at high enough doses, it causes them to go into liver failure. So a little bit isn't good. And a lot is even worse. So check your labels. Of course, you know, you don't intend for the dog accidentally to get into sugarless gum or candy. But be careful. Kids are going back to school backpacks are being thrown on the floor that they haven't been in a year and a half. So kids are forgetting the other thing that we see dogs getting into in backpacks, purses, tote bags, all those things is ibuprofen. And a lot of people pop ibuprofen into their purse in small containers that wouldn't be the large childproof size. And those are coated on the outside with a sweet coating. So dogs will eat an entire bottle of ibuprofen. So not only should you not give it for a pain medication for your dog because there isn't really a safe dose, But if your dog investigates your bag, backpack, purse, shopping bag, whatever it happens to be, and they get into the ibuprofen, you have a genuine emergency on your hands and you need to get veterinary care immediately. So along those same lines, Tylenol is not safe. We can use rarely doses in dogs, never, ever in cats. And I know this is a dog show, but people have cats too. Mm -hmm. So Tylenol in a very small amount will be very risky to a cat. It causes Heinz body anemias and they will die very quickly. And then, of course, any prescription drug that you have for yourself, don't reach for it. Don't think that just because it was prescribed to you, it's okay for you to give it to your pet. A lot of people do things and they'll come in and having given medications. And I'm like, really? Like, (laughs) really? You thought that was okay? So Valium, Tramadol, you know, there's just a multitude of drugs. Narcotics, of course, are in that category. And yes, it may be safe to give to your dog, but please make sure you speak to your veterinarian to get the right dose because you don't want to assume that your gabapentin dose or your tramadol dose or your Valium or Xanax or whatever narcotic you might be using is acceptable for your dog. So absolutely do not give your prescription medications to your dog, to your cat. It is not okay. It's not just don't share it with your kids or your other family members, but don't share it with your dog. And then the Sudafed category of decongestants can be risky as well. I've seen a situation where a group of dogs, all of the same breed, were afflicted with kennel cough. They gave a decongestant and several of the dogs died. So be really careful that you are not assuming that you know what you're doing. So don't play Dr. Google and think that you can do this just because you read it online because not everything online is accurate. Really? What up with that, Marty? Yeah, shocking. Okay, so these are the never, 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 do not do, period. Absolutely. All right, excellent. So now, what can I do if my dog has kennel cough, for example? Let's use that segue. Sure. We can start with kennel cough. So guafenicin and dextromethorphan are frequently found in children's and adults' cough medications. 
Dextromethorphan is typically the DM. If you see something like Robitussin DM, the DM is dextromethorphan. That is safe at an appropriate dose. So again, call your veterinary clinic and ask for a dose for assistance in dosing it. And guafenicin is often in those products as well as a decongestant. It's the little mucinex guy, the little green guy that runs around uh, on the screen. Okay. That's guafenicin. So that helps to break up mucus and make it easier for the dogs to either cough that up or to breathe if they're congested. And typically, if I have a moderate-sized dog like a golden retriever, I will give half of a child's dose, half of a 6- to 12-year-old dose. And if it's a smaller dog than that, you need to get veterinary intervention to determine what your appropriate dose should be. So that works. You can also use little noses as the nasal spray. You can get those saline sprays, and those can be helpful in the dogs that are congested, especially the brachycephalics. They may have congestion. They may not be able to breathe very well. So those nasal sprays can help buy you some time until you can get into the veterinary clinic and make them more comfortable. I didn't even think about that. I have nasal spray all the time, you know, saline spray for flying and stuff. Interesting. And of course, Vaseline, if their nose is cakey or crusty, you can easily put Vaseline on there. If they look it off and ingest it, it's not going to hurt them. All that the cat laxatives are, like laxitone, those are petroleum jelly flavored with malt. So it will not hurt your dog or cat to get some of that by licking it off. So that's not going to cause them any harm. It's absolutely fine to use. Okay, good. All right. So what are some other ones that we can use if we have a non-emergency situation going on? Sure. And so as long as we're kind of in this category, let's go ahead and talk about Benadryl and Loratadine. Benadryl is, of course, a decongestant and Loratadine is an anti-allergy medication. Those are both safe, again, in small doses. The Benadryl dose is typically the 2 to 4 milligrams per kilogram, three times a day dose. So 25 milligram and 50 milligram capsules are what you usually find over the counter. And you can find the liquid as well for children. So you can figure out doses on those. Those are safe. Some dogs get a little hyper on it. Most dogs get a little sleepy on it. I will caution you that you don't use Benadryl as an anti-anxiety drug. It is useful for allergies, for congestion, for itchy, scratchy, uncomfortable, allergic dog. Bee sting. Bee stings, yeah. Actually, I had one of those in one of my own puppies a couple of weeks ago. So that product is safe, but don't use it as an anti-anxiety drug. If your dog has anxiety, speak to a veterinarian or a veterinary behaviorist and get an appropriate medication. All Benadryl does is make them sleepy. It doesn't reduce their anxiety levels. So you're fooling yourself if you think you're going to get through a thunderstorm or fireworks with Benadryl as your drug. There are better drugs on the market. So plan ahead for those kinds of things if you know your dog has anxiety. But Benadryl works great. You can give it three times a day. Loratadine, which is Claritin, also works really well as an allergy medication. So that I typically give a 10 milligram tablet to an average size golden retriever size dog and a smaller dose for a smaller dog. That is only given once a day. And it does help augment some of the medications that we use for allergies. If your dog has itching, scratching, itching is the sensation, scratching is the action. So I get a little stuck on that, probably more than I need to. But when a staff member comes out of the exam room and says the dog is itchy, you can't really ask them if they're itchy. You can see if they're scratching or chewing their feet or biting. So describe the symptoms. Don't assume that itching is a description. But anyway, those are great products as anti allergy medications. For topicals, if you have a dog that has a problem with a skin rash or with some other skin condition, you can certainly bathe them. And I use Dawn dish soap. It does a good job of degreasing the oils on the coat and getting rid of the pollen and the other things that might be stuck to the coat. Or if the dog, of course, gets into something like drain oil or whatever, a toxin, then Dawn dish soap is 
great. And everybody can access that. You don't have to go anyplace fancy to get Dawn dish soap. But that does a nice job, even for allergic dogs, if you can bathe them in Dawn and get rid of the pollens and the type of stuff that's stuck to their coat. And then for topical creams, the prescription medication, silver sulfadiazine, is a burn cream for people. That's fine to use in dogs. But if you can't get that, you can use hydrocortisone. You can use lidocaine. A lot of those come as gels and creams like sunburn cream and mosquito bite and that kind of stuff. So hydrocortisone is a steroid, which will reduce the discomfort and the sensation of itching. Lidocaine will numb the skin. So if you have a laceration, a wound, or some kind of insect bite or some kind of a rash that's really uncomfortable, that works really well. And then one of my favorite things, and I know it sounds a little weird, but it works great, is diaper rash ointment. So anything that happens around the rectum of a dog, if they have diarrhea and end up with a sore hiney, mm-hmm. wash them up good, get rid of all that stool that's left on there. You can use your Dawn dish soap there. And then you can use diaper rash ointment. And I use it on newborns as well. <laughs> so for puppies with diarrhea, with sore hineys, I think that is a really great product. I don't think we have a better one on the veterinary market. <laughs> so I use a lot of that. I love that. That's a new one on me. Good one. Yeah. And again, if they lick it, it won't hurt them. So it's absolutely fine. So that does a pretty good job of covering the allergic type things. Most dogs for skin, amoxicillin won't work very well. And unless your dog is allergic to amoxy, that would probably be the one prescription medication I would say is probably always safe unless you have an allergic dog. So if there isn't an allergic reaction or a rash or a wound or something else that you think you need an antibiotic for, a lot of people have amoxicillin, and that works pretty well. But it's probably only a stopgap measure, and it should only be used until you can get a veterinarian to be involved in the kind of care that your pet really ultimately needs. But on a long weekend or you know, if you're traveling, you're out of town, whatever, there's definitely some things that you can pull out of your bag. Right. Safe, broad-spectrum antibiotic, amoxicillin. Yeah, yeah. It'll get you by. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. With over $1 billion, with a B, in claims paid, Trupanion has you covered. Whether you're a dedicated breeder, a loving owner, or both. Trupanion is also the first pet insurance provider to offer a special breeding rider that you can add to your coverage. That way, you know your dogs are covered from common health concerns associated with breeding and whelping, like emergency C-sections, for example. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. I think we should probably talk about GI things. Yeah, GI things, I think, and then maybe wounds, I would say. Yeah. So GI, Pepsid is safe. It's even safe during pregnancy. So it typically comes over the counter as the alternative to famotidine, famotidine AC. That comes now as a 10 and a 20 milligrams. So small dogs should get the 10, bigger dogs can get the 20. And that you can use twice a day. So if your dog has an upset stomach and can keep medication down, Pepsid is a really nice over-the-counter product. You can get it at the dollar store. You can get it at the grocery store. It's not hard to get. You don't have to go to a pharmacy. And it's not a prescription item. So Pepsid does a nice job for upset stomach. 
The other thing that actually does a pretty good job is meclizine, which is bonine. It's used for motion sickness. And if your dog either has GI upset from eating something that they shouldn't have, and it's not something that's going to cause an obstruction like a corn cob. I mean, if you know your dog eats a towel or a corn cob, you need veterinary care. You can't do this stuff at home. But meclizine works for GI upset, and it also does a pretty good job for dogs that have vestibular syndrome, which is a syndrome that we see in the elderly dog. And the vestibular syndrome can look like your dog had a stroke. We know dogs can have strokes, but it's not very common. It's much more common that older dogs end up with vestibular. So meclizine is over-the-counter. Bonine comes as one size, 25 milligram. You can run into the store and get it probably not quite as easily as Pepsid, but it is a good product to have at your fingertips if you need to do something with that. Now, if you think your dog is starting to be gassy and or bloat, cymethicone is Gas-X or as a capsule or infant drops for babies. So if you have gassy newborn puppies, you can use the infant drops. If you have a gassy adult dog that you think might be working on a bloat, get some Gas-X down them. And this is something you should keep in your first aid kit if you have especially large breed. There is Gas-X in every room in my house. I have preached the powers of Gas-X for years, so 100%. Yep. yep, cheap, inexpensive, easily obtained, and safe. But if the dog proceeds to bloat, then that's definitely something you need veterinary intervention for. The Gas-X is just to get you to the vet and try to minimize what's going on until you actually can get in. And then we have the good old Pepto-Bismol and Kaopec. I was going to ask the Pepto-Bismol question. (laughs) The pink stuff. Yeah. So I use real Pepto-Bismol, which I don't use it on newborn puppies and I don't use it on adult dogs. I use the real Kaopectate, which is kaolin and pectin and no longer is what you can buy over the counter. In the human product, you can only get that at the farm store. But Pepto-Bismol is fine, Kaopectate is fine, unless you have newborns or a pregnant or nursing mother. And I try to avoid it because that does metabolize into aspirin in the GI tract, down in the lower gut. The one caution I would give you is if you gave Pepto-Bismol tablets, and then you went to the vet, and they said, well, we're going to take an x-ray and see why your dog is vomiting, Pepto-Bismol tablets will show up on an x-ray and look like a foreign body. So it has fooled more than one veterinarian that they, not me so far, but you can actually see them on an x-ray and it will look like the dog ate something metallic. It'll be this bright white spot on the x-ray. So if the dog swallows it whole and you take your dog into the veterinary clinic and they take an x-ray to see if the dog has a foreign body, make sure you tell them, I gave two Pepto-Bismol tablets because you don't want them to see two foreign bodies, take your dog to surgery, and then charge you several thousand dollars to find out that they took out a Pepto-Bismol tablet. So please, please, please make sure you include that in your medical history. Otherwise, kaopectate is fine as well. And then that's pretty much what I'll use for GI upset. That works pretty well. That, of course, in a bland diet is useful. And then my favorite trick, if you think your dog ate something smallish that will pass but is potentially irritating to the gut is my canned spinach. Canned spinach, which I still just like completely blows my mind. Every time you say it, I'm like, that is just insanity. Well... It kind of is a long story, but my sister, when she was in high school, had a bridge put in by the dentist, and as he was putting it into her mouth, he dropped it, and it hit the back of her throat, and she sat forward in the chair to try and retrieve it, and he pushed her back in the chair to try to retrieve it, and instead, she swallowed it. Oh, sweet Jesus. Yeah. It had sharp points on it, and my mother at the time worked at a human hospital and went to talk to the pathologist. It's always bad when you talk to a pathologist before you need to be dead. 
And he said, well, just feed her canned spinach. So my mother dutifully fed her canned spinach and even more dutifully went through her stools until the bridge passed, at which point it was autoclaved and then made another appointment to put it in this time with more success. So that's how I know about it. Now, the veterinarian I used to work for in Milwaukee would feed cotton, good old cotton, as the same kind of thing as it would wrap around the sharp edges of small, sharp things like pens and nails and metal shards and things along those lines that dogs tend to chew up and eat. And she hated spinach so much. She was Lebanese, but she hated spinach so much. She said she would rather eat cotton. Most dogs would rather eat spinach. And you can mix that with ground beef or chicken or something to make it more flavorful. And then the dog will eat the spinach. If they won't, you can squeeze out the liquid and push it down in little balls. And I have stuffed entire cans of spinach down Labradors to make them pass things if they haven't been willing to eat it. Now, clearly, if it's not moving, if it's a full obstruction, that's not going to fix your problem. But if it's little sharp things that you're concerned about or something relatively small that seems to be moving along but needs a little push, then the canned spinach will work really well. Awesome. And then the last thing that I do want to just throw in here is melatonin. Melatonin, a lot of people use for hair growth and for sleep disorders. So again, it's safe as long as it doesn't have xylitol in it. So again, check your packaging. We'll circle back to that check your packaging piece because it does do a nice job of helping certain patients. And if it doesn't do it, then of course you need veterinary intervention. But it's something that you can try if you're suffering with some dogs that are having sleep disorders or anxiety. It does help with that kind of thing until you can get a veterinary appointment. So all of these are really meant to be a stopgap measure and not meant to replace veterinary care. But as we said at the beginning, if you're struggling to get an appointment and you need to do something in the interim, Not only can you do something, but you can also give that as a history when you finally do get in to say, well, I tried this, this, and this, and it didn't work. And that way your veterinarian will know what they need to go to to the next step so that they don't have to repeat some of the things that you've tried. Right. Excellent. Okay. So next on our list, my dog cut its pad or my dog got a foxtail or, you know, any of that kind of stuff in its foot. Sure. So small wounds, you can usually do something like on the feet, you can put a sock on. A children's sock works really well. If it's a larger wound, then you may have to use an adult sock or more bandaging material. I like to have saran wrap too, because you can wrap a lot of wounds and keep them clean until you can get into the veterinary clinic. So it helps to keep them from tromping through the weeds or the cut grass or the dirt or the gravel or whatever the surface is, especially if it's a large wound or a wound that's on an upper limb or on a trunk. You can certainly easily use saran wrap. Of course, if it's on the chest, don't wrap them so tightly that they can't breathe. But saran wrap is a great tool to have. And then bandaging material, it's good to have socks and tape. And duct tape does a pretty good job of holding things together until you can get in. Don't duct tape the hair, duct tape the bandage. Exactly. And before you bandage any wounds, I really encourage you to take a photograph of the wound so that before they unwrap it and it starts to bleed or it starts to mean that they're going to need a couple of hours until they can get to your dog, that they may have to hospitalize them until they can get there, they'll know what they're getting into. So grab your cell phone camera and take a couple photos. I actually had a bear dog that came in one day several years ago that had stuff hanging out and they had put it back in. And because they're bear hunters, they had a stapler not this paper kind of stapler, the skin kind of stapler, put the dog back together to hold all the parts back in. And I said, well, did you photograph it before you put the stuff that was hanging out back in? And they said, no, we just put the staples in. Well, it turns out it was most of the dog's intestinal tract. So they had done a good job of keeping it inside the dog, but 
it was under the skin and not in the abdomen. So it would have been really good before we went to surgery to have that kind of information. So grab your phone, photograph the amount of blood, photograph the type of the wound, photograph the location of the wound, take a full view picture standing back so you can see where on the body it is, not just a close up so that I can't tell where exactly the wound is. But get some of that information, and then when you contact your veterinary clinic, you can often text or email those photographs to them so that they know what they're getting into. And it might be that your veterinary clinic is going to say, you know what, this is too major for us. We need to go ahead and send you on and save you from going to your vet and driving and spending the money to see your regular vet only to find out that you need to be referred for something that's more extensive. So the more information you can collect for your veterinarian and your veterinary staff, your professionals, Before you get there, the better they are going to be able to cope with what's going on or get you an appropriate time, maybe sooner rather than later, maybe later rather than sooner. They all have to triage their cases right now. Veterinarians can't see everything right this minute, so they're going to have to triage and more serious things are going to have to come sooner rather than later. So the more information you can get and the nicer you are to communicate that to your staff at the veterinary clinic, the better. So don't say, I only want to talk to the doctor. Make sure you tell the staff what's going on because the doctor is not necessarily available. They're not sitting in the back drinking coffee, waiting for you to call. So make assumptions that they are as busy as they're telling you that they are because they probably really are. We are, and most veterinary clinics are, is that it's several months out for anything wellness. So explain the significance, explain the timeline, you know, be concise. Don't be overly dramatic, but emphasize the urgency of the concern. But If it's a torn toenail, don't blow it up into something, you know, it's like the Geico commercial and the flat tire. Don't overdo it. You know, if it's a torn toenail, they'll get you in, but it's not going to be something your dog is going to die from in the next 20 minutes. So make sure that you understand that they do have other cases that are also urgent and you are not the only person that's needing veterinary care. So be super nice. Be super Super nice. nice. We're just going to keep saying that over and over. Be nice. Because... It's just not happening out there right now. People are, and I understand they're frustrated. They're sick of this whole thing. We all are. They can't get in to do what they want to do. And we all are sick of it. And our staff is really trying their very best. All of the staffs at veterinary clinics, they're hardworking people that are very dedicated to pet care. So don't think the worst of them really assume that they are as busy as they say, because we've had people say, oh, you can't really be that busy. Actually, we can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are. You know, one of my favorite things, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it out here, and most of the people I know that have hunting dogs, foxtails are a thing. Foxtails in the feet, foxtails in the ears, foxtails in the nose, foxtails, foxtails, foxtails. And ears and nose, I think, are more emergent, but feet, I think, are pretty manageable. Yeah, feet are pretty manageable. They can end up causing abscesses just about any place they go. The biggest concern are when they cause a pyothorax. When they get inhaled, they don't just stay in the nostril. They go all the way into the lungs or they perforate through the skin and get into the lungs. Those dogs with pyothorax, those are very serious medical emergencies that require opening up the chest and draining it and sometimes taking out a lung lobe. That is something that's only going to happen at a referral center that has a board-certified surgeon and 24-hour care. So there is actually a website. It's a very good website called Mean Seeds, M-E-A-N Seeds. We've posted it before. Yeah. It's a great one. It is. It is super good. Yeah. Kathy Lewis that put it together is one of my clients. So I'm honored that she has chosen us for her veterinarian and I am aware of how serious these things are. So if you do get into an area, number one, look at the Mean Seeds website before you go and just simply avoid going into fields that have those kinds of cover because some of them were planted inadvertently and 
even though they might have been planted for good ground cover for hunting, it turns out that they're dangerous to the dogs. So avoid those. And if you do end up with a weed seed, foxtail, whatever you want to call it, get in for veterinary care as soon as possible. If they're in a nostril, those can be inhaled further. And those are the really serious ones. Ears, yeah, they cause an ear infection. And when I worked in California, about once a week, I'd pull one out of an ear and hear an eardrum pop. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the eardrums heal back up and they heal very quickly. But they do cause some pretty nasty things. We are in a part of the country that we don't see that much of it, except for the ones that end up in the chest. And those are bad, bad, bad. I see them almost annually and sometimes more than annually. I'm treating one right now. And so what I do is when they're in the feet, I just soak the foot in warm Epsom salt water. Yep. Epsom salts are great. So yeah, that works really well. I think that's a great solution, but they are serious. So just simply oh, avoid, yeah. avoid. I love you, dear. But here at my house, they grow in my paddocks. There is no avoiding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, this I is my life. I spend all spring long hand pulling yep. all the foxtails out. So yeah, yeah, it's a real thing. You just thing. need to burn down your paddocks. I've thought about it. <laughs> the other place we see weed seeds is under the third eyelid. So if you've been out mm. in the field and the dog mm. comes in squinting, don't be messing around with that. Get into the veterinarian. We can put drops in the eye that will numb the eye, which is something you can't use at home. And lift up the third eyelid and pull that out. So if you have a dog with a squinty eye after hunting, go in today. Don't wait three days. I've pulled weed seeds and corn stalks and all kinds of stuff out from underneath third eyelids. I've had it myself. Oh, yeah. I've literally had a grass Adorable. seed behind my eyeball. Yeah. My father thought I was making it up and I was just being a baby. And when I finally talked to my mother into taking me into the ER and they numbed my eyeball and pulled this inch long weed seed out that was literally behind the eyeball. Yeah. Like, yeah, dad, I wasn't making it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it's not a bad idea to have some saline eye wash and some Visine eye drops in your kit. And of yes. course, when we go through our first aid course, we're going to include all of this good stuff for you to have. And there's our teaser. Marty is going to do our 911 series of Facebook Lives. And I'm super Ooh. excited about this, you guys. Just keep an eye out. It's going to be coming up this fall. And we're going to get lots, lots more information like this, but times 10. So I am very excited. Right. We're going to have lists and specifics yes. and a lot of care. So it's going to be a series and we're going to have a lot of fun doing this because there's so many great things Blast. that you should know and little bits of trivia of things that we can do to help you keep your pets healthy. This is your teaser episode, everybody. Be prepared. We'll be getting information out about this really soon. All right, crew, let's share the love, shall we? Episode 500 is, oh my God, rapidly approaching. And I was searching for inspiration on what to talk about in this episode. And I decided that there is nothing more inspiring to me than the stories you guys have shared about Pure Dog Talk and its impact in your lives. So it's decided we're having a contest. What, what, what? Write your story for me to share on air as part of our historic number 500 celebration episode. All submissions will be judged by a panel of celebrity listeners. Judges will select three stories to be included in part or in entirety in the episode. Well, there's something you don't see every day. Episode 500 will air on October 25th. Deadline for story entries is October 1st. 
Submissions should be sent to Laura at puredogtalk.com. I can't wait to share the love. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.